0: Hi, and welcome to Blockchain Beat. My name is Ana Paula Picasso, and you are listening to the Blockchain and Football Series. (laughs) I'm here with Martin Calladine. He's a football writer. He wrote two books about football. Hi, Martin. Hello. Good morning. So, welcome, welcome to Blockchain Beat. Do you recognise
1: this clip I just played? Yes, I do. If I'm not mistaken, that that's Pele scoring the first goal in the 1970 World Cup. Um, and I, if I should say, I listened to the last episode you did, which was really good, by the way. Uh, and that also seemed to feature Brazilian scoring in a
0: World Cup. So I think there might be a theme <laughs> emerging. It is a the theme. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a beautiful goal, by the way. A, he scores with his head. Isn't
1: that- isn't that the, I think I'm right to say that was the the 100th goal by Brazilian in international football. It was like a real landmark goal, I think. I, I am. I once <laughs> saw Pele. Um, Did I, you? Me my wife, yeah, me and my wife were on a holiday in Brazil, and we were standing on the Copacabana, and this huge crowd started gathering, and we were like, oh, let's go and have a look. And we turned around, and it was Pele carrying the Olympic torch, and he comes down to Copacabana <sighs> Beach with, with the torch, and as he gets up to us, he like, I, I could almost reach out and touch him and he's weeping absolutely weeping with like kind of pride at being carry, carrying the torch and we were just like completely overwhelmed by this and then we got in a cab afterwards and we said to the taxi driver it's amazing we've just seen pele and he you know, he loves this so
0: much he was crying and and he just went ah oh, pele he's always crying <laughs> yeah yeah he has this sort of like very emotional side yeah when he talks about you know, in interviews, when he talks about what happened in the past, he's quite emotional as well. So he's got this kind of fame of crying a lot, but <laughs> I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. It was so, an amazing moment, yeah. it really was. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So you went there for the Olympics or for the World
1: Cup? No, we, we were just um we were just there on holiday and they, they, it must have been just before the Olympics, I think. Uh-huh, and yeah. the, the, we didn't even know the um the procession was coming through. But it was, mm-hmm. it was was
0: we had an amazing couple of weeks. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and uh, so the, I was thinking, Martin, for this episode, we divided in two parts. The first part, we talk about fun tokens. I know you went to other podcasts and you're very vocal about fun tokens and why they're good or why they're bad. So we will see. And the second part, we talk about your book, your latest book. I know you have two books uh what the first one called the ugly game also about football and the latest one it, it just launched isn't it last last month in january
1: yes absolutely it's called fit and proper people um and yeah that's been out a couple of weeks and it, it's getting some reasonable reviews so uh and it's called the lies and fall of on afc Yes, which was, uh, well, I guess we'll talk about it more, but it was a, a company whose plan was to crowdfund and run a, a football club.
0: So I don't know much about the story. I read what you wrote. I read in other in other articles, but I'm going in cold, but I love a scandal involving football. <laughs> so it's going to be a, quite a good story, I think. So, yeah, so I just want to kickstart this, this conversation with, Fun tokens. So can you just explain what a Fun Token is for someone that's not too familiar or just heard about it, but don't know really how it works? Sure. Well,
1: so there's a number of companies that offer them, um, but the biggest by far is a company called Socios. There, There was a competitor called Iconic who went under a few weeks ago amid allegations that they deny of, of fraud. But Socios have the vast majority of this market. They have six Premier League clubs. They've got uh, PSG, two Milan clubs, uh, Barcelona. So they've locked up a huge number of, of big uh, European football clubs and a number of kind of they've got partnership deals with a lot of North American sports teams. But what they do is they offer these things called fan tokens. Now they're not shares in the football club and they're not exactly cryptocurrency, what they are is a a digital asset that gives you voting rights over the football clubs. um, And it's based on their own cryptocurrency, which you need to buy to then be able to um, buy these tokens and then vote on them. Um, And at kind of a high level, that maybe sounds Interesting to fans, you know, they're pitching as a fan engagement business really strongly. Um, but my view, and I think a view that's increasingly becoming prevalent as as the kind of the product dev- evolves and people see it in operation, is that actually it's kind of a crypto recruitment product. So what you have is these uh, these polls that you can vote on, and if you were thinking it was going to be something like, you know, do we sack the manager or you know should we put a bid in for this player? It's nothing like that. It's right. it's really, really minor stuff. So there has been things like, um, you know, what what um logo sorry, what what message should we have stitched on the name of the captain's on, on the armband of the captain? Uh, there was one where it was like, which of these players' wash bags would you like to see inside of so you know, like what grooming right. they have? Really <laughs> extraordinarily hilarious. pointless things. Um and so you buy these tokens and then you can vote on them. And because the things themselves are not especially interesting, it seems to fans, actually, even for pretty big clubs, we're seeing hardly anyone vote in these polls. So Manchester City, for example, have had four polls since they signed and not one of these polls has had a greater than 20 percent turnout. And that seems right. kind of weird. Like if, if this there was a thing that was really about fan engagement, how come 80 percent of people who own the tokens don't? don't vote in it and, and the answer really is well who's got the tokens and this is where you begin to unpack it and um, what they do is they don't have any restriction at all on who can buy tokens or how many they can buy or how many clubs they can buy them in and if you were thinking like we're going to create a, a, a system maybe using the blockchain maybe not that allows fans to engage with their clubs the first thing you're going to want to assure yourself is that only fans of the relevant club can buy these tokens and vote on them. But they don't. So, you know, Manchester United fans could buy Leeds United tokens or Man City tokens and vote on their business. And um, you would also think from a democracy perspective, it ought to be kind of one member, one vote. So you limit the tokens to one per person. But no, they don't. Sometimes they put a limit on how how many times you can vote, but there's no limit to the number of actual tokens you can hold. And you think to yourself, well, why are they doing this? And then on top of that, actual price of the tokens you buy them at two pounds or two euros when they launch but then they float so the price is determined by supply and demand I um see. so these things can go up and down in significantly and then you start to see what this actually is well it's a trading game you know there's an opportunity for people to buy lots of these tokens and depending on how they feel uh, the the kind of they're going to move in price push the price up and sell them make a big profit What you have, we have clear evidence now is traders buying these ones, manipulating the price and then dumping the tokens on genuine fans. And I can give you some examples of that if you want, but it starts to seem actually that what was pitched as like the first big kind of incursion of crypto into football is actually a pretty shabby trading game designed to get people to buy the token, the cryptocurrency of the company um, that runs it and so we're starting to see some especially in the UK some some fans opposed to this we're starting to see regulatory interest and and it's starting to be a question of what's the actual long term future of this are they actually delivering any real meaningful fan engagement
0: yeah yeah that's right and then martin what do they do with the tokens you let's say i'm a fan about the tokens i can vote with them can i trade for something else or can i trade into other cryptocurrencies What's the downside for the fans?
1: Well, so there's a number of things there. When you, as well as being able to vote on the polls, you also get access to competitions um, to get kind of rewards, maybe mm-hmm. you know, tickets to something. There's also kind of a loyalty program. And so you can see how you could build that part of the utility of the tokens out into some kind right. of a meaningful loyalty scheme. Although, why you actually need to buy crypto to do that, you know, I, I, I'm not clear on that myself. But the, the danger for fans is that. Um, you know, you buy something in good faith thinking, this is about engaging with my club. And then the thing we found recently is that as the um, as the shine comes off this product a little bit, the value of the tokens has absolutely plummeted. So Manchester City, they they started, I think it's late October, they went on a run in the league where they won 12 league games in a row. They qualified for the next round of the Champions League, top of their group, and they qualified for the next round of the cup. So they literally won every single game. And in that like six to eight week period, their tokens dropped by more than half. Wow. And in fact, if you if you bought Man City tokens at the beginning of the season in like late or, in August time, they're now dropped by two-thirds. So if these tokens were actively, accurately reflecting fan engagement, you know, like their belief in the in the in how the club is doing, obviously that's not what you would expect. But the problem, of course, is that because they value rises and falls against the cryptocurrency, and that cryptocurrency rises and falls against other cryptocurrencies, other financial instruments. The underlying value of most cryptocurrencies has significantly decreased in the last three months and that drags down the value of all the tokens so manchester city fans you know say they've they've put in money in good faith to engage with their club and and, um socios do unmistakably say in their advertising that there is an opportunity to trade these so although the clubs tried to emphasize that this is about engagement you know the, the the marketing material specifically says you can buy and sell the tokens so it's giving people the nod and the wink that there's an opportunity to make money here. You buy the tokens, your club wins every single game for three months, and you've lost half your money. (laughs) That's obviously problematic, I think. And then beyond that, there's the issue that um, some of these schemes, and not necessarily only Socios, but some of the schemes that bring crypto into football are targeting, are using kind of big Western European clubs to pull in money from other parts of the world. So a lot of these schemes, particularly um, Socios, but others too, will have Um, clubs and players from Turkey and Brazil where we know there is massive um, like kind of obsession with football but also economic problems particularly in Turkey the Turkish currency has collapsed over the last kind of six months and so some people have begun to see this as an alternative way of of kind of looking after their life savings so instead of maybe buying a lottery ticket or or kind of keeping their money under the bed they started buying some cryptocurrencies. Some people have bought tokens. The, the biggest socios market by far was Turkey in any single country. Oh, okay. And now, so you have a situation where people have bought into this because of the association with football, but many of them will, may have lost a lot of money. And, you know, if, if you think about people in Britain, if they bought five or 10 of these, uh, of these uh, tokens for Man City and they lose half their money, they're only talking about losing, you know, 10, 20, 30 pounds. Okay, but if you've got yeah. people abroad buying this and using it as a store of value, you could be talking about people losing their life savings. And this is my broader question as well about, do these tokens provide any utility? Is also, are clubs aware of the regulatory issues and the responsibility they have when they put their name behind a product that has the possibility of enormous financial losses to people? Uh, And that's, I think, thing that's starting to get explored and unpacked now, but perhaps is already too late for some.
0: Yeah, that's quite worrying because, uh, like you said, for us, I'm here in Sweden, You in the UK, you maybe lost a couple hundred pounds here and there. But even in Brazil, you mentioned Turkey, you know, things in Brazil are not great. Definitely not in the last few years. But if the fans are losing money, who is making money with these tokens?
1: Well, that's a really good question. What's the advantage? What happens is initially when the clubs, when socios sell the first tranche of these tokens, they call it a first first fan token offering they split the proceeds 50-50 with the clubs. Right. So if clubs are selling 2 million tokens at £2 each, then they're going to get £2 million from a total right. pot of £4 million. Also, then Socios take a cut on, the, uh, on future sales, buying and selling of the tokens, which I'm not certain, but I think they may share some of that revenue with the clubs. So it's a few million pounds for some of these clubs. In the grand scheme of it, if you think about Manchester City, three million pounds is not actually that much money. Um, But so I suspect that they, they're kind of getting involved because they're desperate for cash with COVID having put a hole in their bank balances. And they're just saying yes to everything. And they're also perhaps thinking, well, yeah, you know, this could develop into something much larger. Who knows what, you know, all the, most of this stuff with, with blockchain, people are saying, OK, forget your criticisms of this now. Forget what, yeah, you know, yes, NFTs look rubbish now. Yes, tokens aren't doing this. But in future, it could be this world changing thing and I think they're probably saying okay we'll take the money now and we'll we'll see what it develops into um but the the problem I have is you know that in, in English football this is basically the only product that they're recommending to fans that's completely unregulated so you know if this was a financial services provider if it was a credit card or a bank account if it was a car company the cars have to be tested to European safety standards you know none of this applies if the companies go under as happened to Iconic all your money's gone No way, it's coming back. If someone runs off with it, as you see with NFTs with rug pulls, nothing you can do about it. And I think you're like, although I'm skeptical about crypto generally, I'm deeply skeptical about it at a stage where it's not yet properly regulated because I just think, as a matter of general kind of business ethics, you shouldn't be recommending to your customers something where they have no consumer protection at
0: all. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. What lack of regulation is something not just for fun tokens, but still in crypto is is something that we're still giving the first steps. And fun tokens, I think they are a good idea on paper in some ways, especially if you're a real football fan and you follow your team. What kind of changes do you see this should happen for to be an advantage for the fans that's a really good question and, and this is one where probably you and
1: i won't completely agree because it, it seems to me that there needs to be a mechanism by which only fans of the club can vote on that club that just seems obvious to me and i, I can't really see a reason why um the price should rise and fall um they should fix the price and take that trading element completely out of it um the question is though that like, do we really need the, the crypto element at all you could sell these things in fiat currency and people could vote on them you could use existing technologies you know web surveys and emails to ask fans questions and ultimately what i want to see is is a situation where fans have have an actual stake in their club own shares in that club and my concern is that sometimes people deliberately or otherwise are using um tokens as a kind of a way of hoodwinking people into thinking they're getting more ownership than they actually are. And so I suppose the answer is there needs to be some way if they're to survive of, I think, bringing that and and actual proper ownership together so that the, the token does confer actual ownership of part of the company and actual voting rights as per you would expect if you're a normal shareholder. I think, you know, see, they overpromise in that respect. But I think also that the question they have, and this is what makes me think, honestly, I believe that fan tokens, as they're currently conceived, are completely doomed in that mm-hmm. football clubs will not give fans, most of them will not give fans a meaningful say over club business. And I think there's good reasons for that. You know, the really successful fan-owned clubs are owned by fans, but those fans delegate control of it to actual professionals. If we, we know that it, it really probably isn't a good idea to say, yeah, we'll let people, uh, fans, vote on the tactics or whether you should substitute players, which some people are proposing with DAOs to come, and and right. I just can't see that being a good idea. So it it seems to me that the whole the whole notion of these tokens is probably flawed, unless there is a a different utility attached to them that I can't even begin to imagine. And I should say as well, you know, that I recognise that I'm perhaps not completely unbiased in this. I've I've been reading about this for a long time, and and I've I've come up against so much what i regard as dishonesty by businesses in this area that i'm probably just too cynical now to believe that there's any meaningful at least in the short term use from these things but you know i'd be delighted to be proved wrong because i think fans are desperate to have an input in their club to feel more close to the club and i don't just mean clubs fans in the country of that club you know my my the team that i support above all is an american football team and you know i've i've I live thousands of miles away from them. And I still feel like I'm a a fan of that club, that I love it deeply. And I don't think that the fact that I don't go regularly doesn't mean my love for it is false. So I, I would like to see a way of using technology to kind of bring that into some kind of meaningful existence. I just don't know what that could be yet and and I think smarter people than me will have to find a way.
0: Yeah, we definitely need to find a way. I see what you mean because in the beginning when I first came across the idea of fun tokens, oh you go like, yeah yeah, that sounds pretty good. That sounds quite fun. But now listen to you and listen to other people as well talking about what they really represent or how it really works, then you see why like you said why they doomed. And, um yeah, we will see how it goes. I know it's something that's only been going on for a few years, maybe how long? Two, three years with the Socios. Yeah, um, yeah, four years maximum, so it's almost nothing. If someone wants to prove Martin wrong, come to the podcast. And uh, yeah, that's a very good overview what fun tokens are. And now it's time for you to talk about your latest book, Martin. I know you have two books, like I mentioned in the beginning. The Ugly Game was your first book about football. What I really want to talk about now is your latest book, is the rise and fall of on AFC. It just uh, came out last month in January to 2022. So I come in in cold. I don't know much about the story, and uh, but I know it's a story about. Don't want to say the word scam, alleged scam, so we can protect us ourselves. <laughs> but tell us the story. What happened to on a FC? It was an app, wasn't it?
1: Well, I think you know it connects. Although it wasn't a crypto based scheme, it connects. to a lot of things we've been talking about so uh, if your audience don't live in the uk they perhaps won't have heard of it but in early 2019 this company called owner fc launched and their plan was you would download their mobile app you'd pay 49 pounds and they would club together and effectively crowdfund purchase of a football club in the english league and run it and the promise was you would have Total control of the club. You know, they 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 later suggested, well, maybe not on pitch decisions, but basically everything off pitch, um, and that would be decided and run by the app. And something similar happened in the UK uh, about ten years before that, when, um, just using kind of um, uh, just like uh, email, people bought uh, and just bank transfers bought a club called Ebbsfleet, and that actually they were in the non-leagues but they did win a trophy and they did okay for a year or two and then basically people got bored and the the scheme collapsed but this company they were like okay mobile technology means this has transformed it we can have real-time discussion and decisions of the club and everyone from around the world can get involved and will buy and run this and it got a lot of publicity it was on the bbc it was on the kind of the the tv news Uh, it was in lots of the the big newspapers in the uk and uh, my co-writer and I, he's, uh, he's a guy who, um, who writes about non-league issues and lower division football in the UK. And we looked at him. and we thought, kind of, in principle, that's, we thought that's a bad idea because if I'm a fan of a club, do I really want people from around the world who aren't fans of that club coming in and buying it and running it? Because they were pitching themselves as fan ownership. But to me, fan ownership means ownership by the people who are already fans. You know, If it's a club that you haven't heard of till you buy it, then you're not really a fan. And we were, so we thought, you know, in principle, that sounds like a bad idea. But as we began to investigate and, and kind of speak to customers, it became clear there was something much bigger going on, that people were not happy with how it was being run, that the people behind it seemed to have a very dubious business history. And um, as the company tried to purchase clubs and tried to deal with the publicity and, and its tech was kind of a bit dubious, it, it basically collapsed in only, after only a few weeks. Although it had, you know, we reckon hundreds of thousands of pounds had come into it and um, that money just vanished. And uh, what happened after that was though that the owner of the company began kind of a campaign of vendetta against some of the uh, the fans, who, uh, the people who had been part of it, who had been its most loyal fans and then uh, against myself and my co-writer. Um, and initially it was kind of like intimidation and threats, but it actually oh kind of culminated with uh, one day, um he turned up on my doorstep uninvited and and beat me up in front of my family um oh my god after, I mean it was you know and after that that this that wasn't by any means the worst of it he you know it, it was a, a very long running campaign of intimidation and and kind of harassment so um and so yeah.
0: sorry, go on so just for me to understand the, from the beginning of the story, there was this app called on f c anyone could download it and you pay forty nine pounds towards a club or they wouldn't choose a club or choose different clubs. How would that work in
1: principle? So the whole thing was everything will be with the with the people who buy and to decide. So they said we will put to you the clubs that we think we could buy and you will make the decision who we should approach and how we should do that. And and that didn't happen. Um, Actually people didn't end up with any meaningful say. And they thought in their minds that the money they're putting in is kind of like an investment. So it will be ring fenced and that money will be in a pot and we'll use that pot to buy the clubs. Right. And actually, it it turned out that wasn't where the money was going. And um, Uh so what, what the story really is, is looking at how again and again, the idea of fan ownership, which exists, you know, in different forms across Europe and around the world and in the UK in small ways, but very successfully, Is continually used and abused by new technologies and kind of you know dubious people to get Mm -hmm. fans to to take advantage of the disillusionment that fans feel
0: and get access to their wallets. And and you say after days, you mean days after the launch, they collapsed. Or what happened there?
1: And why did you
0: get beaten up? (laughs) My God, this is horrible.
1: It's a, it, the company had launched about six months beforehand uh-huh. kind of like a soft launch but it right. then had a PR campaign that led to within a few days um at least thousands perhaps tens of thousands of people signing up so a huge influx of money and then as soon as they actually tried to buy a club and pressure was put on from fans to say well sorry fans of, of Uh, customers to say why can't i do this when's this happening when's this happening it became clear that the whole business was not properly structured to manage that and that it didn't have questions answers for all the questions that people had and at that point the owner of the business shut it down citing harassment and that was the end of the company um the reason that myself and others were targeted is is you know it's, it's hard to be exactly sure why anyone resorts to that stuff but we were the most vocal critics of it the people who were writing about it we were interviewing the, the customers and raising questions about you know the finance the structure how this was to be regulated and so it, we were deemed to have been partly you know responsible significantly responsible for its downfall in reality of course a, a well-structured business that has a long term future doesn't collapse because a few journalists ask honest questions of it you know it's it, i wish i wish i could snap my fingers and take businesses down you know socios would have gone years ago if that were the case but that's just not how it works
0: what was the real reason or do people have to go and read your book <laughs> to find out what was the real reason behind the, the collapse well, obviously
1: i would definitely not obviously i'd re- i'd recommend everybody to go and read it obviously but uh, well i mean Without being able to get a You've truthful really account the <laughs> from the person who started the company, I can only speculate as to why that is. But my belief is that um, he saw that it wasn't going to work; that he would only end up getting more, um, uh, more kind of trouble, potential legal issues, and that his best thing was to close it down now with whatever money was in the company rather than risk running it further getting you know, a number of people reported it to the police although no action was taken by the police and to other and the kind of the fraud investigators in the uk and so i think he realized that he just whether he i'm sure he believed at one point that it could happen but actually it was a completely impractical scheme and as soon as that became apparent through my work and, and that of other journalists at that point it was just like okay shut up shop and move on to the next thing um so, yes, beyond that, you know, it's always hard to know what's in the mind of, of people like that and why they do what they do. Um, but clearly yeah, he wasn't yeah. happy about how it all ended.
0: Of course, of course not. Ben, then what happened to the people they invested on, on AFC? Did did they get found okay. what What happened to them?
1: Well, so... A small number managed to get a refunds through their credit card companies, and if you, if you think back to what we we're talking about with cryptocurrency, at least then, if it's a you know it's a, a proper a proper business that has a, a credit card relationship, they were able to say, you know, we feel we didn't get what we were entitled to, what we were right. promised, and so from what we can tell, perhaps half a dozen people got their money back. All the others, the thousands of others, lost whatever they put into it. Um, and you know, again, we're talking about perhaps fifty or a hundred pounds. That maybe isn't the biggest thing for some people, but um, what came of that, you know, for some of them suffered significant harassment and and worry, and that brings you again, it, it makes you realise how much of what we think of as being you know living in a, in a kind of a, a Western democracy that we're protected by the police, that we're protected by uh, consumer company, so by mm-hmm. kind of consumer authorities, and that generally this stuff work people won't be able to get away with it. But the other side of what you find is that you know the internet has set off. A, is allowed a tidal wave of fraud and a tidal wave of uh, harassment against people and or, or authorities and, and the police really can't cope with that. And actually to get kind of justice for people who lost money or justice for, for someone like me who who was the victim of, of kind of violence is actually very difficult. So I think there's a bigger story about how our institutions are, are struggling under the weight of of kind of the change that's that's coming to society through through um the internet and and as I think increasingly we'll see through crypto. Um, so it's kind of a story about you know how how so often people's love of football and you know, all the people who most of the people who bought into this yeah, yeah. Ha- did so for good reasons. They they loved football. They loved their clubs. And after time had come to feel that their clubs were remote from them and didn't listen to them, they had no real way in. And so they were like, okay, what well, this sounds like, I can just like fan tokens, like I can have a stake in stuff, and. People can exploit that emotional connection we have to football so easily, and 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 with such terrible financial results that yeah. I think that although this this product this uh, product didn't involve crypto, I think it leads to you know bigger stuff. I've been I've been reading a lot recently about DAOs, which are in the UK alone I've seen in the last two months at least four or five schemes where people are saying we're going to start our own DAO, we're going to issue our own tokens or NFTs or our own uh, currency cryptocurrency and we'll go and buy a football club literally some of them are saying we you don't know who we are we're anonymous but we're going to band together and buy a premier league football club i've seen people talking about 250 300 million pounds and these schemes are utterly absurd it's impossible that people will raise this amount of money if you think how many people need to give a hundred pounds to make that possible and yet all people are already moving on to the next level of of the same it's, it's owner fc again but with Lots of extra zeros on the back end and even less consumer protection. And this is the thing that worries me is, you know, we saw recently some some guys from the US, some NFT um, artists saying, we'll we'll try and buy Bradford, who in the championship, I think it is. Um, And they had a profile in the Washington Post and I think in Forbes. And it turns out all they had done was email the owner of Bradford and ask if he'd like to sell to them. So there is a media issue here, where there are so many people desperate for a story. They will write up crypto stories as if there's any truth behind it. They won't look at all at you know is is have they done anything to evaluate what's being claimed? If someone says to you, "We're going to buy a football club," and one of these people are saying, "We'll buy a football club in the Premier League, and we'll buy a club in Italy and a club in Spain in the top flight, and then another twelve clubs around the world at in lower divisions." I reckon back of the envelope, that could be a billion pounds they need to raise. And they think they can do that in 10 years um, by selling NFTs and tokens. And in one sense, we should laugh at that because that's just so wildly absurd. Yeah. But what if people like this get halfway to doing it? What if they raise five or 10 million pounds?
0: I know. What's it's a lot of money. money. It's a lot of it money. Is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and there's, you know, with football, is you know, it's one thing raising that much money, but football isn't for wealthy people. Football is for really wealthy people. And you know, they, there's an opportunity to easily take advantage of people by saying we can do this. And people don't sit down and think, okay, how many people at 100 pounds will it take for us to raise 300 million pounds? Is that at all likely? Is there any precedent anywhere in the world for raising that much money? DAOs themselves are not regulated in the UK. It's a corporate structure that doesn't really exist in the UK. That's a big hurdle to cross before you should be talking about raising money towards doing anything. Um, So again, there's there's a possibility that we're whatever the. And I hear people saying that DAOs are the future. You know, smart contracts will allow us to make sure that the artists and and musicians are never ripped off again. We'll never have office politics again. We'll never have kind of um, uh, kind of uh, kind of uh, mismanagement by individuals. We'll all know what's going on. Everyone will be able to vote on everything. And so, but where is this happening? Come back to me in five years' time when you've actually proven that it can work. When you can run, you know, a small coffee shop with a Dow, then we'll talk about whether you should be buying a football club. Again, this just seems to me that I, you know, I, I'm I grew up in an era when you know the dot com boom was first happening, when we saw companies you know spending billions of pounds of of investment capital and collapsing, but what they left behind was at least proof of. Of concept that you could make e-commerce work, and then, Dragic, that you could make internet banking work, and they're, so they kind of they built some infrastructure. I worry that people are going straight in from you know here's a technology that no one had even heard of two years ago, to asking the public to get involved so we can buy one of the most famous companies in the world, and no one wants to go through the process of actually the hard work of the year-long, years-long work of building this thing, proving that it works, ironing out all the problems, and then coming to people honestly and saying, we've shown this can work. You can invest with confidence in us um, and, and I'm not seeing that, at least in football. Maybe it's happening elsewhere. And, and that's the thing that really concerns me is that as soon as we we kind of we expose one of these scams, the next one's coming and the next one's coming. Sorry, I've gone on at some length, but, you know, I, I think there's a, a massive issue and football isn't really facing it. Football at the moment is saying, yeah, bring us your money. You can sponsor us. You can have your name on your shirt, even though we don't know who you are, where you're based and if your product is even legit, we'll take the money.
0: Maybe it's material for another book, Martin, or <laughs> a few books. <laughs> Maybe so. There's a lot to be written about it. I There's think. a lot to be written about it. I'm, I'm Yeah, I'm guessing it's going to be like, a, could be a series. So, yeah. So, wow. Thank you very much for the, you know, very insightful overview into the football and crypto world. And if anyone wants to know about more about the scandal of, On AFC, go buy The Lies and Fall, not The Rise and Fall, The Lies and Fall of On AFC. I put all the links in the description. Also, you have your first book as well. Do you want to mention The Ugly Game? Sure. Well, that, that's a unique book because
1: almost no one bought it. So I think copies are very rare. Go but and buy that, it. <laughs> that, that's a book about I was looking at Um, I, I'm a long term fan of American football. So it was about what my other sports, particularly football, learn from the way American football does things in terms of how it's kind of organized and run.
0: So it's a little bit more niche than that. But, you know, I thought it was yeah. all right. I think it's all right as well. It sounds pretty good to me. So I'll put all the links in the show notes. Go and check out uh, Martin's two books, the latest one and his first one as well. And uh, if you want, people want to reach out to you, Martin, for interviews, what's the best, what's the best way?
1: Uh, you, you'll be able to find me on Twitter at Ugly Game. Uh, making many of the points that we've talked about today um, and hopefully fighting for a better football and for more fan ownership.
0: And um, yes, so good luck. And hopefully maybe do another series in the future. You can come back if you have another book. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how all of this stuff has developed because, you know, it is still definitely. early days, but there's a lot there's a lot to see. We'll see what happens over the next few years.
0: Definitely, definitely. It's very early days. Thank you, Martin. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. for listening. If you want to know how blockchain PR can help your business grow, just go to www.blockchainpr.online.